Last week, when we gathered together on Easter, we dug into this account from Mark chapter 16. And in there, we learned that you don't need to physically see the Lord Jesus in order to believe in him. In fact, you see because you believe. And this week, as we continue our celebration of of the resurrection, our celebration of Easter during these Sundays of Easter, we have an opportunity to dig into this text from John chapter 20, which, as I mentioned in the beginning, serves as a great addendum to the things that we looked at last week. Because in John chapter 20, the apostle, whom, the disciple whom Jesus loved, explains that from the empty tomb, resurrection peace is given to you and is also given by you. So by the time that Easter Sunday evening had, or the sun had set on Easter Sunday evening, the disciples had heard three different accounts of an empty tomb and a risen Jesus. Two of them came from the the disciples themselves, right? One from John, one from Peter, and the third one came from one of the women that we heard about last week, Mary Magdalene. And though they had heard all of those different accounts of an empty tomb and a risen Jesus, where do we find the disciples in John chapter 20? We find them gathered together, locked up tightly in a room because of what? Because of fear, right? It's because they are so afraid. And though that fear is totally misplaced, I think it is completely rational, especially when you consider everything that had happened over the last couple days, right? They see their friend, their teacher, the one in whom they had placed all of their hope for restoration and for the bringing about of the kingdom of God. They saw Jesus arrested and then crucified and then died. And then these were the men who had followed Jesus around for nearly three years and are even there in the garden with Jesus when Jesus is arrested. And all of this happened because of the Jewish leaders. The whole reason that Jesus was arrested. Now, granted, that was all part of God's plan to use them in that way. But this is the reason why the disciples feared these Jewish leaders Because their only conclusion, or the only conclusion that they can draw, is that if Jesus was treated in this way by being put to death through crucifixion, then it's really likely that that's going to happen to us. So they locked themselves away in that upper room. But there's another thing that day, that or that evening, that they are fearing. They actually fear what will happen if Jesus is, in fact, risen from the dead and does show up. These men, they treated Jesus terribly when everything happened. Think back to the Garden of Gethsemane on Holy Thursday. When Jesus is arrested, what do the disciples do? They run, flee. And then Peter, when he's standing in the outer courts as Jesus is on trial before the high priest, he's identified as one of the the 12 who has gone around with Jesus and they call him a Galilean. Peter denies him not once, not twice, but three se- on three separate occasions. And this was after Peter had said to Jesus, I will never abandon you, I will never betray you, I will never deny you. And yet he still betrayed and denied him. I have no doubt that these disciples are completely embarrassed and sad by the way in which they treated Jesus. And so locked away in that upper room, they also are fearing what will happen when or if this risen Christ shows up and talks to them. And then he does show up. Walking right right through the door that they thought would keep them safe, Jesus shows up, but he doesn't show up for retribution or retaliation. He, He shows up for peace. Resurrection peace, 
He says to them, peace be with you. And then he shows them his hands and his side. And what is the disciples' reaction? Joy beyond joy. They are completely overjoyed by the things that they heard and what they were actually seeing. Now the wording that Jesus uses to, uh, to greet his disciples is a common Jewish greeting from the time, peace be with you. It's, in other words, like shalom. Have you heard that term before? Shalom, peace to you. This would be the kind of uh, phrase that you would say to a friend who comes to your house or to an acquaintance you meet out on the street or to a vendor at a marketplace. It's just a, a common greeting. So then how can a phrase, peace be with you, that is so common in Jesus' day, have so much power that it causes the disciples to have joy beyond joy? Well, the answer is that, to that is found in the one who is speaking it. It is Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen one. And with that single phrase, he turns their entire hearts and lives upside down. With that one phrase, peace be with you, he, he dispels that fear that they had about the, uh, the Jewish religious leaders putting them to death. With that one phrase, peace be with you, Jesus dispels the fear that he had come to, to retaliate against the way that they acted or get some sort of divine retribution for the things that they had said and done. Peace be with you. With that one phrase, Jesus changes their hearts and their eternities and even their outlook on life by giving them resurrection peace, which then causes them to look at life and everything that they're going to face afterwards with joy beyond joy. Now, as 21st century Christians, you and I have the incredible blessing to live in light of and to learn from those who have gone in faith before us, don't we? Like, think about the account last week in John chapter 20. We realized that we don't have to see physically the resurrected Jesus in order to believe in him and to know that he is risen from the dead. Or even in this account from John chapter 20, where Jesus shows up and he gives resurrection peace to these people who have done terrible things, just like you and I have. Right? And we know that, that every single Sunday, we are going to be given that resurrection peace from Jesus. We know that every single day that God grants us grace in this life, that he is going to give us resurrection peace, which then causes us to look at things with an outlook of joy beyond joy. And all of that happens with that one simple phrase, peace be with you. Because wrapped up into that compact little phrase is all of the hope and joy and meaning of the resurrection. When Jesus comes to you and he says, peace be with you, he's saying to you that your debt of sin is paid, that all of your sins are completely removed and forgotten, that peace with God is yours. When he comes to you through his word and sacrament and says, peace be with you, He's saying to you that, that Satan, the one who is purely evil, is defeated. And no matter how much evil and harm he tries to cause you, there is nothing that, that he can do that will be able to rip you out of the arms of the Savior who lived and died for you. So peace is yours. When he shows up in his word and sacrament and Jesus says, peace be with you, he is saying to you that, that death is totally defeated. Now think about that. Death is the one thing in this life that none of us can escape. That no matter how hard we try to outrun it, it will all one day come for us all. But when Jesus says, peace be with you, he is saying to you that even that, even that is paid for and you have life that knows no end. When he shows up and gives you resurrection peace, just like he did for those disciples, it fills your heart with that hope and that joy and the meaning of the resurrection and causes you to look at life not in the same way that those in the world look at life, 
but to look at life with an eternal mindset, to look at life with joy beyond joy. Both intellectually and emotionally, I know this to be true. I know that Jesus has given to me resurrection peace and has given me this beautiful outlook of of the ability to be overjoyed in no matter what circumstance I face. And yet I still find myself living as though I've never been given resurrection peace at all. I find myself locking my heart up and hiding, just like the disciples were doing in that upper room. A friend of mine contracted COVID and got incredibly sick. And what was my first reaction? It was not to empathize with my suffering friend, but instead it was fear. Fear that that might happen to me and what that is going to do to my body. I heard about the shooting that happened in Rock Hill this past week, a terrible tragedy that claimed five innocent lives and injured a sixth last time I read about it. And what was my first reaction? Not to pray to God that he would pour out his resurrection peace on all those in the community of Rock Hill who are suffering, but instead it was fear. I went and checked all the locks on my windows and shut my door and in the hopes that that might prevent something like that from happening. Or I hear about a, a guy who was a few years younger than me in grad school. Uh, he and his wife just recently had a baby. And now a week later, it looks like that baby might not survive. And my only reaction is fear. Fear that that might happen to Andy and myself in a couple months when we have our little boy. And that's not even to mention the, the spiritual fear that I have. The kind of fear that keeps me awake at night because I am just racked with guilt. Guilt from the times where I have fled, fled from Jesus by the, or denied Jesus by the things that I've said or, or fled away like the rest of the disciples did from the life that Jesus calls me to live because I simply don't want any oversight. I don't want anybody telling me the things I can and cannot be doing. And that's when the fear really sets in because I wonder, what if Jesus comes tomorrow? What is he going to do to me or what is he going to say to me? I don't know exactly what it is that causes you to live in fear like that. But I can pinpoint why it happens. It's because we don't trust Jesus. It's as simple as that. I mean, that's ultimately why the disciples were in the upper room on Easter Sunday evening, because they didn't trust Jesus. That's why they were filled with fear. At three different times throughout his ministry, Jesus had, in increasing detail, told the disciples exactly what was going to happen. That he was going to suffer, that he was going to die, and that he was going to rise. But they didn't trust what he said. Jesus explained to his disciples on multiple occasions and in many different ways that his work as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was going to have eternal ramifications, that his work, once complete, would bring life and joy and peace. But they didn't trust what he said. Jesus even told his disciples explicitly, this is going to happen to you. You will, be, or you will flee from me. You will deny me on the night when I am handed over into the hands of men. But they didn't trust what he said. And yet, despite their lack of trust, they still fled. They still denied. All because they didn't trust Jesus. And this is the exact reason why you and I lock our hearts up in fear too. Because we don't trust Jesus enough. 
Now, I wish I could stand here and say that from the moment that you are given faith in the one true God, that, that trust would be an easier thing to come by, that you wouldn't struggle with it as much. But speaking from really real experience, trust is a hard thing on this side of eternity, and it will never be perfect. But this is exactly why Jesus comes and he enters in through the locked doors of our heart to give us resurrection peace because he knows exactly what it is that you and I struggle with, exactly what it is that you and I fear. And he also knows that the only anecdote to our lack of trust and our, and our abundant fear is the resurrection peace that he offers. So he comes to your heart and he says, peace be with you. And he does this to solidify the trust he has already planted in your heart and more deeply trust in the, the things that resurrection peace means for you. He comes to you time and again and says, peace be with you to remind you that all of those sins that haunt you are all forgiven and you don't have to live in guilt any longer. He comes to you and he says, peace be with you to remind you that death is not something that you and I need to fear. And so we can go out into this life and face whatever comes our way, knowing that even if something bad happens to us and our life is gone, that we have a better life waiting for us. He comes to us time and again and just simply lays that peace on our hearts. Peace be with you. And the most beautiful thing is that because of who our Savior is, the Savior of arrow pointing down love, he never tires of coming to you and to give you that peace. And he's going to do it as often and as many times as he can as he continues to journey with you toward heaven. He comes and he simply gives you this resurrection peace which then transforms your outlook on life as one of joy above joy or joy beyond joy. Now, knowing that this resurrection peace has been given to us, it'd be really easy to sit on our hands with it, wouldn't it? To kind of become complacent with it, to surround ourselves with those who are like us, who have also been given resurrection peace. It'd be easy. And we do that because it is super easy and it's comfortable and it keeps us out of harm's way in awkward situations. But but the reality is the moment that God that your Savior pours out resurrection peace onto your hearts, it comes with a calling. And that calling is this, that we are to be the ones who give resurrection peace to those who need it. And this is exactly what Jesus did for his disciples. After he shows them his hands and his side, he says, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What Jesus is explaining to his disciples is that since they have been given resurrection peace, they are to now go out into the world and to be harbingers of this resurrection peace and what it means. This is to be their calling, to be their way of life. And shortly after they receive that calling, they have an opportunity to, to play that calling out. Because that one day that Jesus showed up, that first time in that upper room, there was one person who was missing, a man by the name of Thomas. Now, the disciples, they did exactly as Jesus asked them, asked them to do. They gave him resurrection peace. They told him, we have seen the Lord. And yet Thomas, ever living up to his name, the, the doubter, he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers there, unless I place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas didn't believe, and he was very skeptical of what the, of what the disciples of that resurrection peace that they had given him, but, but then Jesus shows up to, 
to change things around. A week later, the doors are locked. The disciples, including Thomas, are all gathered together in the upper room, and Jesus walks right through those doors and offers them that same resurrection peace again. He says, peace be with you. But then it's as if he does a 180-degree turn and just looks directly at Thomas. And he says, see the nail marks in my hands? Put your finger there. Put your hand in my side. And he literally says, stop unbelieving. Not stop doubting. Stop unbelieving and believe. I mean, this is just incredible, isn't it? That Jesus shows up and replaces Thomas, Thomas's unbelief with belief in the risen Lord. Belief in the resurrection peace that the disciples had already given to him. And Thomas, in faith, cries out, my Lord and my God. Thomas, Thomas was one for whom Jesus lived. Thomas was one for whom Jesus died. Thomas was one for whom Jesus rose again. Thomas was one of God's chosen people that he desired to be in heaven with him forever. And yet, where was Thomas before Jesus showed up? even after having been given that resurrection peace, he was living in his skepticism and unbelief on a path destined for hell. This was a man who desperately needed resurrection peace and the disciples gave it to him and Jesus came up and solidified it for him. Now you and I, we are all brought into this world as Thomases, aren't we? We're born into this world unbelievers and doubters. But Jesus showed up and gave us resurrection peace through the water and the word of holy baptism. Every Sunday he shows up in his word and in the sacrament that you are about to receive, more deeply solidifying that resurrection peace that is yours. And now because resurrection peace has been poured out on all of your hearts, he now calls you to go out into the world and to give resurrection peace to those who are Thomases. And to be quite honest, Thomases really aren't that hard to find in the world, are they? I mean, we live in a world that is increasingly post-Christian, which means that Christianity is no longer important to a majority of America. It is no longer a mainstay in our homes or in families or even in institutions. So that means there are plenty of people in this world who are living like Thomases, who are, who are hardened in their skepticism and at their very worst are living in unbelief. And there are deeper implications than that. Because that means if they are living in skepticism and unbelief, there are plenty of people in this world who are racked with guilt and yet have no idea why. There are plenty of people in this world who are living in the fear that sickness and violence might come to them and they don't know what to do about it. There are plenty of people in this world who are living, who are living with, with the fear that what happens to me when death comes knocking at my door? There are plenty of people in this world and maybe even in your life who need resurrection peace, the peace that's already been given to you, even if they don't know what that means or what the implications of resurrection peace are. And you, my friends, are in a perfect position and are called by Jesus to give that resurrection peace to them. Now, that is a huge responsibility. And the thought that is scary, right? It's scary that Jesus gives us this call because in order to spread resurrection peace, to give that to people who need it, it means that we have to move out of our comfort zone, out of this little family of believers that God has gathered here and go and find Thomases in the world. 
It means that we are going to be placed in awkward situations and face rejection. But I want you to remember this. That the resurrection peace that Jesus gives to you does not promise you a life of comfort and ease in this life. It promises you a life of comfort and ease in the next life. But resurrection peace also promises you this. It gives you the confidence to stand in the face of anything that would cause you to fear while you are giving people resurrection peace. So if we have nothing to fear in this life or the next, why not go out and work as hard as we possibly can to do the thing that Jesus has called us to do? All right, what is the worst possible thing? The worst thing that could happen to us as we spread resurrection peace? It's death, right? Though not likely in this country, maybe the day will come when it is, but not likely in this country, death is the worst thing that you could possibly face in spreading resurrection peace. But remember that resurrection peace also promises you this, that death has been done away with, therefore it is no longer something that we need to fear. And if we don't even need to fear death itself, then all of the small awkward interactions and rejections that we face aren't even something that we need to worry about. But maybe... Maybe the thing that you don't fear, or maybe the thing that you fear more than facing death because of this is just simply, I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to say or how to engage in a conversation where, where I am spreading resurrection peace. Well, the Apostle John has an answer for that too. End of John chapter 20, our section for today, he says this, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John points to scripture and he says, this is the only thing you need. This is the only thing you need to be able to be a harbinger of resurrection peace in this world. Notice when Jesus sends out the disciples, how he sends them. He just says, I am sending you out. And he doesn't really give them any further instructions. He doesn't say in order to be a, a harbinger of resurrection peace, you need to be some eloquent and wise speaker. You need to be some learned scholar or theologian. He just simply says, go out and take this word, peace be with you, to other people. Right? And the word of God, the word of God is given for one explicit purpose in this world. So that people may come to know Christ and the resurrection peace that he gives and that they might have eternal life with God forever. Jesus simply calls us, to take this resurrection peace to people, and that's it. And the best part about this is, as, G as we go out and spread this, Jesus promises that he's going to solidify it. I mean, isn't this what he did for Thomas? He sends the disciples out with that word, peace be with you, and then Jesus shows up and makes good on it. What a blessing that is, to know that the responsibility is not ours to convince somebody whether Christianity or the resurrection or this peace that the resurrection brings is true, he just simply calls us to go and say, peace be with you, and then promises to take care of the rest. And as blood-bought children of God, we deeply trust that Jesus will do just that with that one phrase, that one phrase that turned the disciples' hearts and lives and outlook on life upside down, peace be with you. Peace be with you is that same phrase that your God gives to each and every one of you to assure you of the certainty and hope of the resurrection and everything that it means for you. Peace be with you is also the phrase that you are called to take out and give to people in this world so that they know and have the same peace that you have. God grant you 
the grace to live in that resurrection peace that your Savior has given you, and also the strength and the courage to give that resurrection peace to others. In Jesus' name, amen.